All right. Well, let's get going. We've been in this series called Godonomics for the last three weeks now. This is week number four. And we're going to pick up where we left off. But the biggest thing that I want you to understand is when we look at this, we're dealing with money. Not the most exciting topic. And you know, the, the number one reason that people have issues with it is because they, nobody likes to be told what to do with their money, right? Everybody's got an opinion on how money operates, what you should do with it, how you spend it, and all of that. I'm not here to tell you how any of that goes. What you do with it is your prerogative. I don't care. Okay? I'm not here to put a guilt trip on you like you need to give more in the offering. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to see what God says about money. Because that's frankly all I care about. In the world we live today, what God says on many subjects is irrelevant to most of our culture, including the church culture, as sad as that is. The church claiming to be set up by God, ordained by God, and say, yes, we're doing what God wants, but yet we ignore what God says on so many subjects. Whether it be how we live our lives with marriage and children, whether it be finances being an example, how we become a Christian. That's a good one, right? God said there's one clear path. But yet, we have come up with all these different ideas. It's like, well, you can just do what you want, believe what you want. The church today say, well, you know, if you just go and be a really good person, you get baptized, go through confirmation, maybe take communion, do that kind of stuff, then you're going to get into heaven. The problem is, is that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, fair statement, right? But how do we get there through him? Well, when he's standing there talking to one of the Pharisees in, in, in John chapter 3, he's telling this guy named Nicodemus. Now, a Pharisee is a teacher of Israel. He's a higher up in the political and religious landscape there because he's the one that's explaining to them what the Scripture says. So, he goes to Jesus by night and he says, Jesus, we know that you're a man from God because nobody can do the stuff you're doing unless they sent by him. And if you remember some of the other teaching we've done, that remember they were waiting on four miracles that only the Messiah could do, and Jesus was doing them. And that's why he's making that statement. He's like, listen, I know that you are from heaven. There's no way. So you've got to be from God. What must I do to get there? Right? And a question that we should all ask. But you know what most people do? We just assume. Right? If we're born in America, we're going to heaven. Hallelujah. That's a good thing, right? That's why Trump's building the wall, right? No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Relax, people. Okay. But the thing is, is that he sits there and he says, okay, Jesus says, well, you must be born again. Nicodemus turns to him and says, how can I be born again? Can I get back into my mother's womb? And then Jesus looks at him and says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these most basic things? And then he gets into John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, which we know by the study of that word, that means we put our faith and trust in him, that you would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, there was one way to do it. It's God's ways, but yet we tend to take things and we're like, well, God, I know this is what you said, but let me tell you what you meant, and I'm going to twist this to meet my narrative. You know what we call that? We're creating a God in our image. I mean, married men, let me ask you this. Your wife tells you to do something. She's like, hey, would you take out the trash? What do we hear? Go watch football. How's that going to go over, gentlemen? Not well. Because the immediate follow-up question is like, what are you doing watching the game when the trash isn't taken out? It's not, you can't just go like, well, I know that's what you said. But I heard what you meant. Now, women can do that. They get away with it all the time. Let me tell you, I tell my wife exactly what I want, done, need, whatever the case may be, and she does whatever she wants because she hears what I meant and not what I said. 
But women, it's okay. You can get away with that because I don't know. It's, you get a pass. It's not fair, but whatever. So, but the thing is, we, we, we can't do that in life. You can't go to your job and your boss says, okay, this is the task I need you to perform. And you just be like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go do it this way. And not expect to have consequences. But yet we do this with God. We never take a second to say, okay, God, what do you have to say on the subject? How do you want things done? I mean, the most eternal of these things is salvation. How can we be born again? It doesn't matter what church you go to. It's this relationship with Jesus going to the Father through Him. There's only one way. There's not many ways. There's only one way. There is exclusivity, exclusivity Excuse me. when it comes to the things of God. But yet we try to make it multiple. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe you can do this and stuff like that. And I, unfortunately, these are conversations I have each and every week with people. And it's like, boy, that would be great if it worked that way. But it doesn't work that way. The thing is, is with finances, it's the exact same thing. God set them up in a certain way that we should follow. And we began to look at that last week uh, a little bit more in depth. If you remember, when we go back, there were three things that when you study Scripture that just seemed to be very clear as a purpose from God. God expects us to have liberty, prosperity, and generosity. We have freedom to come to Him or reject Him, do we not? We can reject God. We do it all the time. I get asked all the time, it's like, you know, well, if God's so loving, why would He ever send somebody to hell? My response is, Jesus is never going to force you into His heaven against your will. If you don't want Him here, why would you want Him there? You can have Him here. But no, we want to have it our way. So we have this freedom to do what we want. The same is with finances. God says that we should do things. Tithing is an example, and we'll get into that later on. But it doesn't mean we have to. It doesn't mean that we're more holy, we're more righteous. None of that matters, but there is a reason that he says that we should do it. The next thing is prosperity. God doesn't want you broke. He expects us to prosper. Do you know what prosperous people can do? They can give. They can be generous. They can fund missions. Do you guys realize we talked about legacy ministry, okay? They work with churches all around the country. Do you know how many churches support them on an ongoing monthly basis? One. It's this one. That's it. But yet, they partner with these churches all over the place, but they don't go out there with their hand out. They go out there to do the work and, what, and let trust God, which is exactly how we should do it. But imagine that if everybody who partnered with them would go out and just say, hey, let us give you a hundred bucks a month. Let us give you a couple hundred bucks a month. Whatever. What that would do to what they can accomplish. But they're not being generous. There's a difference between you can't give because you don't have it, and you have it, and you refuse to give it. That's not a generous spirit. You see, prosperity leads to generosity if you have the heart of God and you understand how money works. And what did we talk about last week? Money is nothing more than a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. It is amoral. It is not moral. It is not immoral. It, it, the effect of money has more to do with the person that holds it than anything else. And so as we get out into this stuff, we need to keep that in mind. This is what God has afforded for us. And so in order to do these things, there's a few steps that we've taken. Go to the next slide. The first thing that we do is we can produce. We can produce a gadget. We can produce crops. We can produce some sort of a widget. We can go in and turn in our time in exchange for cash. You know what that's called? A J-O-B. Job. Right? 
I have eight hours in the day of which I am unproductive. I can turn that into productivity, and they will give me money for the benefit. What, a, what an idea. So we can take that, and then from there, profit, not a four-letter word. Do you know profit is good? Do you realize that if a business does not turn a profit, it does not last very long? This isn't the federal government. They can't print more. Okay? They have to make more than they spend. You know, two out of every three restaurants fail in the first three years. Why is that? Most of it is because they don't know what they're doing. And sometimes the food is terrible. But they don't know how to get their margins to where they need them to be. Have you noticed that the price of food has gone up everywhere? Why do you think that is? Because the cost of everything has gone up. So it costs more money to do this. So if we produce something, we turn a profit, and then we go into savings. It's not a bad thing. We should have savings. What do we do with that? Well, that's where we can be generous. And that's where we can be wise. And that's where we can have a little fun. That's okay, too. It's okay to have a boat. It's okay to have a nice car, a nice house. These are not things that are against God. The thing is, is that we've got to understand, I told you guys this statistic before, but that if you own an operable vehicle, you are 48% more wealthy than, than most people in the world. Think about that. I mean, even if it is an old beater, if you ever seen Uncle Buck, you remember that movie? Right? I know you guys in the back have no clue. We're going back into the 80s before you guys were even thought of. But... He drove that old beater car, and what happened every time he turned it off? It backfired, and he was more wealthy than 48% of the world with that beater car. Yep, yeah, we've got it pretty good here, and that's what we've got to understand. So since we've got it so good, we need to understand how do we, what do we do with that? And so we jumped into Matthew 6, so let's go there today, and let's look at this one more time, because this is a heart issue, right? The same dollar has more to do with the person that it has it than anything else. It can be used for good, it can be used for evil. Matthew 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. So it tells us the heart of the individual who is doing that charitable deed is to be seen by these people, that they can look upon them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. The heart of the individual. Those who are concerned with the need are not concerned with the glory of filling that need. You guys following me? If somebody is behind on their rent and you have the ability to go in there and help them because it's a legitimate reason, not because they're just being lazy and not working. We'll talk about that later. But there's a legitimate reason that you go in there and you can just help them out, whether it be known to them or not. If you do it and you want to make sure everybody knows, you know, you get up there on, on, on Facebook and say, hey, you know, I was able to help so-and-so on the rent. Man, God's good. Right? You just got your reward. I hope it was worth it. It's good that we help people, but we're looking for the attention, and that is what he's talking about. Jesus is laying this out. He's like, and you know who he's talking about? The hypocrites that are in the synagogue. Remember what the synagogue is. That's what we would call church, but it was a little bit different. It's the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Hey, don't be like them. Okay, let's go on. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you go into your room, 
Or when you go to pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. He says, don't be like them. Why? Because their purpose in prayer is not to seek the Father, it's to be sought by the masses. They want to stand up there. You know what's funny in churches when it's time to volunteer? Man, I can get people that'll stand on a stage and sing a song, play a guitar. They'll get up, man, I I can fill in for you on a Sunday. You know what is hard to get people to do? Hey, that toilet needs clean. Hey, we need people in the nursery. Oh, I'm not called to that. Nobody's called to that. Nobody. Listen, it's just part of life. We got to do it. God's not coming down like, now listen, this is what I need you to do. Your calling is to scrub them toilets. It's just what we got to do, right? Listen, I tried playing that game at home. I told my wife, Jesus never told me to clean the bathroom. And she says, well, I just became Jesus then, so. <laughs> Verse 8, therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have before, you have need before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray. Now, here we go. He's giving us a pattern of prayer. Not something that we just vainly repeat right? But something of a pattern. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a worship. Glory to your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is his kingdom in heaven? Yes. Is his will being done in heaven? Yes. What are we doing? God, we want that here. We're calling him back. Remember, Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a judgment. He's going to come back down. God, we want your kingdom here. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Today, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Meet our needs. We have compassion for those that we need to have compassion on. And Lord, we want compassion from those that we need it from. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? A pattern of prayer, not a prayer that we should necessarily repeat. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is a pattern, Lord, to do your work and to not just do it for the sake of being seen by men. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with the side countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and it may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to the Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Right? Don't walk around all mopey. Listen, we know you're hungry. That's part of fasting. It's something we should be doing. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline that we do in, in, in our, our relationship with God. We're putting our flesh down and putting God's will above our own. But don't walk around parading it, right? Oh, I'm fasting today. My favorite thing is now we fast social media. That's not fasting. Fasting's not eating. How does social media have to do with that? I'm fasting Dr. Pepper. Like, okay, well, that's great. Good for you. I'm pretty sure Dr. Pepper will survive. So we see these patterns that we're supposed to do. And then in verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we have treasure stored up in two places. 
here on earth or up in heaven. When we're doing things for mankind and we're looking to be seen, we're here on earth. But he says, store up those treasures in heaven because nothing can take those from you. See, we're supposed to have an attitude of where God is, not down here. It's not saying don't have a savings account, don't invest wisely. That's not what that's saying. It's that where your treasure, your heart is, there's your treasure. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. It's the same thing. We focus so much on this worldly need. He's saying don't worry about the things that are to come. Worry about your relationship with God. But all we do is worry. And you can tell where you're at. Because if you're a person that you're concerned with the economy all the time and what's going to happen, you're constantly watching the stock market, why are you worried? Because if God is going to meet our needs, then He's going to do that regardless of who the president is and where the stock market is sitting. Look what he says, 22, the lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore the eye is good. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We'll come back to that. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not more value, are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Remember, that is the unbeliever, the pagan. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know, if we could do nothing else but get verse 33 down and live that out, the world would be a different place. If we sought after God's kingdom and his righteousness, all of these other things, what other things? What we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what's going on? He says, don't worry about that. He says, do not worry about what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. Do not worry about who's the president. Do not worry about what's going on in the economy. Do not worry about what's happening in the world. Because no matter how bad it gets, God is the one who meets our needs. And when we recognize that and we're seeking after him, we'll quit worrying about it. Easier said than done, right? Absolutely. So then we talked about this. It says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I introduce you to my buddy mammon here. Go ahead and throw that up there. This is mammon. Okay? They don't have any carvings of him. These are some old paintings. This is what they think that he may have looked like. It was the Aramaic God of riches. It's not God in money. It is a promise giver. You see here he's holding some coins up above the man. He's got his chain around his head. He's bowing down before him. Here you see two people underneath of him. It's saying you cannot serve God and the Aramaic God of money because the Aramaic God of money makes promises that only God can fulfill. I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'll give you all of those things. I'll make sure you never have a day that you go without. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. The question is, is why would anybody ever do that? The thing that we need to remember is that the heart of man is evil. And that's where we left off last week. Now that's harsh words, right? 
The problem is it's not my words. It's God. The heart of man is evil. We chase after the things of this world. We chase after all of these things that we just need. Man, if I could just have this, then I'll finally be happy. And we never find contentment because mammon makes promises that only God can fulfill. If I just had more money, then I would, I would be okay. If I could just get my dream home, then it'll all come together. And these are all things that God just said that moth and rust will destroy. And it's all going to burn in the end times. When it all is over, it's all going to be gone. All we have are these treasures. So why would anybody do this? What is it inside of us that makes us chase after these things to the point that even good people would do bad things to get them? I've heard, talked to guys that have been on, on, on boards of some large corporations, and these are Christian men. And he said, the sad part is, he said, there is more scruples and morals in a boardroom dealing with unbelievers than a lot of time there are in church boardrooms because they're willing to cut corners and do things, whatever is necessary to benefit themselves. And there's some bad stuff that goes on there. I mean, it, it happens all the time. You hear about these rotten deals or people that are taking advantage of other people, things like that. And, and so we look at it and it's like, why? Why would you ever do that? I would never do that, right? It's what we all tell ourselves until the situation arises. You can tell where your heart is based off your reaction to what's going on in the world when it comes to the things of finances. Look at what Matthew 4, with Jesus, he's being tempted by the devil. It says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So all of them. How this happens, I don't know. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. What was happening here? is that he's being tempted. There's a bigger picture that's going on here, this, this spiritual undoing of what happened in the book of Exodus when they were out in the desert. But, but simplifying this a little bit is that he goes up, he's trying to get him to fall. If he can get Jesus to get away from his mission, then he can thwart the plan of God. Jesus was here for a purpose. And so he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you see here. Now, that seems ironic, because who made everything that he saw there? Jesus did. But who had rights to it at that moment? Satan did. It wasn't God's. He had to go and get those back. But the bottom line is this, is that this is the same thing that the enemy does to us today. He makes promises that only God can fulfill. That's just the way it goes. Man, if you just, you know, if you just do this, you'll be all right. You ever heard the term, they sold their soul to the devil? You ever heard how many musicians, actors, people like that have used that very term and then became famous? I mean, I don't think there's an actual contract or anything that they sign, but it's, it's out there. Where do you think that came from? This very premise that we're talking about. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, let's look at Exodus chapter 20. I want to show you guys some stuff here today. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. This is the Ten Commandments. You guys are familiar with them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make 
for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I'm just going to pause there because I want to explain that it does not mean using God's name in a curse word. I know that's how it's often taught. That's a bad thing, but that's not what this is referencing. It is saying, you are taking my name on as one of my children, and yet your heart is far from me. Okay? You're claim- and how we would put it, you're claiming to be a Christian, but you've never truly been born again, and you've never done the things of God. You are taking his name in vain. We'll get into that later. Remember the Sabbath? To keep it holy, six days you shall labor in all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, and cattle, your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and sea and all that is in them and rest of the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. What day is that? It's not today, it's Saturday. Okay, don't forget that. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that you may, days may be long upon the land which the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, covet his wife, his male servant, female servant, his ox, donkey, anything that is, is yours neighbor. That's all things, right? Who is my neighbor? Anybody, right? So we should not covet. These are the basics of the Ten Commandments, right? Look at them. We've seen these, right? Got them all right there. Now, to put this in context, you've got to understand these were not given to you and I. These were given to the nation of Israel. This was part of the covenant that God cut with Moses up on the mountain. And these are to them specifically. All of these are reiterated inside of the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus, with the exception of one, which is the one keeping the Sabbath. Because we are not Jewish. If we were Jewish, we would do that. So we can worship whatever day we want to and honestly should be doing it every day that we are on this earth. But I want to focus in on one. Thou shalt not steal. Pretty simple, pretty under, you know, easy to understand. Did you realize that all of our laws in America have the basis of the Ten Commandments in them? This is where they got the ideas for these. But what I'm talking about here with this thou shalt not steal, you should not steal, is that you could make a case that this commandment in itself encompasses all the others. Because murder is the stealing of another person's life. Adultery is the stealing of another person's spouse. Coveting is the desire to take what belongs to another. You notice when we covet something, we don't covet how they got to the position they could have it. We just covet that they have it. Giving false testimony is stealing justice, right? And this is the only commandment that is completely open-ended. All the others are very specific. We honor our parents, right? We know who our parents are. But murder is about taking the life of another human being. But this steal, it doesn't have specifications on it. It just says don't do it. In other words, to don't commit adultery is specific to whom? Married people. Because two unmarried people cannot commit adultery because they're not married. That is the term. That's what it means. That's a whole other thing. But do not steal doesn't hint at what we aren't to steal. It just says don't do it. So you can't take anything that belongs to another person. Do you realize that a kidnapper is stealing something that belongs to somebody else, right? We're stealing a person. 
Um, somebody's property. We're stealing somebody's property when we do this. Ability to own land. When we talk about this, and remember, these are the foundation of which our Constitution and everything was written, is the ability to own land is indispensable for a free society because you should be able to go in there and buy something and do something with it, as we saw in Proverbs 31, where she considered the field and saw that it was good, and she purchased it and produced a profit. You can't steal somebody's reputation. All of these things here is that you can't steal, which implies what? You have the right to own them. Whatever it is belongs to you. And what you choose to do with it is completely up to you. But the reason people do things that we would consider immoral or doing things that are unscrupulous is because the heart of man is evil. And that is where I'm trying to show, because I'm building a foundation for the next few weeks, is trying to show you where this is going, because we need to understand the systems, these economic systems that we have, is that we need to follow one that is ordained by God. And so we need to have the principles of God in it. Look at what Jeremiah 17 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. What did he just say? In Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the heart of man is deceitful. It's wicked. It's desperately wicked. Because what do we do? We want what we want. We don't care about other people, right? Did you ever have to teach your toddler to not share his toys? No, you didn't. They're good at that. It's in their DNA, apparently, right? If you have multiple children and there's one cookie left, do they, do, have you ever heard a child say, you go ahead and have it because I love you? Has that ever happened in your house? That's never happened in my house, right? And usually it's my wife that's the one taking it. <laughs> she had a no cake for breakfast rule. I caught her hiding in the bedroom eating cake one morning. I sent the children to visit her. Because for me, cake, listen, if you can eat a donut, you can eat cake. If, if you can eat an apple Danish, then why can't you eat an apple pie for breakfast, right? Because what is an apple Danish? It's flat pie. That's all it is. It qualifies, right? Pop-tarts, good for breakfast. Ice cream, bad. I don't know who came up with these rules. Why are we on this? I don't even know. <laughs> Bottom line here is this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but we have this thing, like, we want what's best for me and not best for us. We do that in the church. We want what we want when we want it. Man, I wish that service would go this way. I wish they would sing this song or that song or not sing that song. I hate that song. Why do they sing that song all the time? Boy, I wish he would preach on this and not this subject, whatever the case may be. And people get mad. Ah, I'm not going there anymore. They don't do what I want them to do because it's all about me because we are at the heart of what we worship. So we see the heart of man is evil in Jeremiah. How about Genesis chapter 8, verse 21? And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. This is right after the flood. He's going to cut a covenant with Noah that he's never going to flood the world again and destroy it by water. But the heart of man is evil from its youth. Right? We know that, right? If you raise kids, you know them are some brats growing up. You've got to make them not brats. That's on you. 
Okay, Matthew 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies, and then we could go on, and we could go on, and we could go on. And so we see this idea that this heart is evil. It makes us chase after promises that only God can fulfill, but we don't turn to God for them. We chase after mammon. We chase after the riches. We chase after the things. He says if you will seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these things will be added to you. But we don't do that. We seek after what we want. And it's because we have this selfish spirit. And we, the only way that changes is by the creation of God and becoming the new man when one is born again. And we begin to get discipled. Do you realize that it is hard to get up in the morning on a Sunday and go to church? Because there are other things that you could be doing. But there is part of it is that you're not just here for you. We're here to worship God together corporately, but my goodness, what does your presence do for somebody else when they see you worshiping God with them? When we see people out in the street living their lives as they should and being generous with what they have. Guys, that's what makes the difference. You see, in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about vanity a lot. But we just think, man, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just get that house, if I could just have this car, and it will never satisfy. It will never satisfy. That is why these NBA and NFL players, when they get out, go completely broke, because they're constantly chasing after the next thing. Nothing will satisfy you except God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You're going to see time and time again, all of these things that the Bible has to say about it, there's a key component in all of it. Where is your heart? It's wherever your treasure is lied up in. James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last day. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. What do we call that? Stealing. They worked for him. He refused to pay them. That's stealing. They cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sebaoth, that's the, uh, the Lord of, of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. What I want you to see here, it's not that he was wealthy. That was the problem. It's what he did with it, and his heart was evil. Because he's stealing from his own people. You see, we have to understand this. Because when we look at this economic system, we're going to get into that next week. Because there's a whole lot of different ideas. Socialism, communism, we have a capitalistic society. But it's not a true capitalistic society. At one time it was. And so, which one fits the model that God has laid out? That allows us to have freedom. That allows us to have prosperity, that allows us to be generous with what we have. 
And those are the things that we should chase after. And when things are wrong, we should stand up for what is right. But it's all based off of what God says. If you don't understand that the fact is that the heart of man is evil, then you'll never understand why these systems work and don't work. And you'll see that next week as we begin to get into this a little more in depth about what Scripture says. But we should be able to have the freedom to go and produce something and profit from it and save. And out of that savings, we should give and we should invest and we should spend. All I care about is what does God say on the subject. Outside of that, it doesn't matter. If he is the standard, then we should live to that standard.